Welcome to Five Cats, Two Pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And this is episode 29. 29. (laughs) I had a brief moment. We literally just discussed what episode it was. And as it was coming out of my mouth, I thought, was it 28? No, it is 29. Yeah, dude. I've been like an episode behind ever since I was sick that week. Oh, yeah. And you and Engineer Dan had to do the episode without me. So I'm finally caught up. I know what episode it is now. We also screwed it all up by putting in the in-between-isode on Beltane. So the the numbering on uh, iTunes and Spotify is not um, aligned with the actual episode number, which is why we label our episodes with episode numbers so that we can do that and confuse the heck out of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, Lindsay? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's been a big Animal Crossing week for me. Nice. You uh, you rearranged your whole island, didn't you? I did, yeah. I, I took everything down. I tore everything apart. I'm kind of sad because it's no longer a five-star island, but it's going to Aww. be bigger and better than ever before. I'm <laughs> working very hard on it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> What's, uh, so I see a lot in my uh, social media feed about um, the price of turnips. What's What's your going price for turnips right now? I don't know. I, I don't really pay attention to the turnips. I don't really care. I, um, I love it. You're I, just like, I, I'm going to make an island and decorate it and wear hats. and. <laughs> yeah, dude. I built my fortune off of selling peacock butterflies. So Jesus, that's amazing. I don't need, I don't need them turnips. That's awesome. <laughs> In a world where uh, social media tells me who is selling groceries, when and where in different restaurants and cafes, popping onto social media to see a friend say, turnips on sale in half an hour, really confuses the heck out of me. <laughs> but... <sighs> well... Yeah... I am excited for this episode. We have wanted to do this one for a little while, and today we are going to talk about alewives. And to piggyback on that, we're going to talk about ale hoof. So we've got a new yeah. herb, we've got a new topic, and we have a new food for Django. Django uh, ate Ooh. some scrambled eggs this morning. <laughs> I made them like like nice and fluffy, and yeah, he didn't. He wasn't sure what to do with it at first. I think because it was fluffy and maybe like like a little wet. Like eggs have a weird texture, so he like kind of just smacked it around a lot. Eventually, he did eat it, but there was a lot of like. And I'm like, oh God, what are you doing down there? <laughs> so you know what? We'll I bet if they were in a burrito, he'd be into it. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> he even tried to pull my plate closer to him uh, as I ate my breakfast in bed this morning, like a real princess. And uh, yeah, I think that's generally his philosophy. A uh, philosophy, yeah, philosophy on food is if Veronica and Dan are eating, it's got to be a burrito. And then he's like, what weird burrito is this? It's eggs. Gross. (laughs) Dude, I mean, I'm with him. If it's a burrito, it's got to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Next time I'll just like add some hot sauce and wrap it up in a tortilla and he'll be all about it. (laughs) He totally will. He totally will. Before we move on, there is something that we should do. Oh, there is? Yeah, dude, we should light the ritual candle. Oh, yes, yes. I was like, what did I miss? <laughs> yes. It is that time. 
I hope your Animal Crossing <laughs> building burns to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have an update on the ritual candle. Actually, it uh, last episode recording. It um, was aggressive. It burned aggressively. And I was like, it has like an inch and a half to two inches left without really realizing that the pattern on the side of the egg was thinner in some spots than others. So it sort of burned through the hole, burned a hole in the wall of the candle. Wax went everywhere. Uh, So this is going to be the last time we can actually light this candle, I am pretty sure. And it may not even make it through this entire recording. I may have to snuff it, which is really sad. And I feel like not a great omen. So I'm going to light a second candle at the same time that is made by another Green Witch um, in the Boston area. And you can get her candles on greenwitchhome.com. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm going to light this ritual candle. But we are in desperate need of a new one, Lindsay. Okay. All right. We're going to start. We're going to start the search. If you've got a suggestion for a place to get a ritual candle, our stipulation is it has to be 100% beeswax. Beyond that, um, send us your suggestions. You can shoot us an email or find us on Instagram at 5C2PPod. And, yeah, here we go. I'm going to light it up. Cool. You know, Dan, I think it's just because you're, like, waiting for us to to continue failing at lighting this that I've been, like, super diligent in trying to remember <laughs> yeah, I teach through shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, your teachings are successful. <laughs> I have been so far anyway. I have been smote by your diligence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got uh, we've got our ritual candle lit. I may need to interrupt our chatting as we're going through this. I'm going to keep an eye on it, but if I'm like, oh god. Yeah, you know, it's just the, the candle got aggressive and went everywhere. Um, but we have oh, our, yeah, our backup lot. candle no, lit. No fires. Yeah. So we're good. Um, we'll be, I think we'll be right back to share some interesting stuff about alewives with everyone. Yeah, dude, totally. We'll see you soon, witches. Oh, welcome back, witches. We are going to talk about alewives. I'm stoked about this. Uh, We've talked about alewives in the past a couple of times. Most specifically, I think, with the um, top five pussies, our our Pussy Hall of Fame episode, where we talked about Jenny Bingham. Uh, But we've mentioned it a few times here and there. Also, the episode on witches' hats, if you want to go back and check that out. But we're going to do a little bit of a, a deeper dive. now. It's going to be a 5C2P deeper dive. We're not historians. Uh, so this is going to be, you know, just a, a focused episode on alewives, not a, like, everything that you could ever possibly know on alewives, because there's a lot out there. And we have, totally you know, do. we have, we have Animal Crossing islands to build and, and <laughs> beanbag toss games to win. And, you know, we have lives. <laughs> <laughs> but we are uh, in our day-to-day lives. We are all three, uh, Lindsay, myself, and Engineer Dan, beer lovers. And I think that this is also sort of where that came from is it's like witches and beer and independent ladies. And I'm I'm into it. Absolutely, dude. Um, all of us longtime beer drinkers, Dan and I, longtime beer industry veterans, near and dear to our hearts for sure. So, Lindsay, you've done, uh, I would say, probably more of the research aspect on alewives this week. So, 
I'm going to let you uh, take it away. (laughs) I did some research. Um, I got like sort of some main points down. We, we go off on tangents quite a bit, so I didn't (laughs) want to like (laughs) make it too long, but um, yeah, Lives. So from what I can gather, the term alewife was first recorded in medieval England around like 1393, although it may have been used before then, who knows, um, not to be confused with the fish. Yeah, (laughs) I learned as well that that because I was all excited. I was like, oh, I wonder if there was like a cool witchy brewery out near Alewife Station um, here in Somerville. And the answer is no. Alewife Station is named after Alewife Brook, which is named after a fucking fish. So (laughs) that was sad. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, it's a fish. I don't even like, I didn't even care to look and see what the fish looks like. All I know is it's a fish. <laughs> Neither did and I. Like, I was so bummed it was also a fish. I didn't look. around here. <laughs> I know. My first thought was like, no, it couldn't be named after a whale wife. It was probably named after like some shitty dude who like treated <laughs> women badly like back in the day. But no, it's a fish. So it's I was a fish. like, well, that's better than what I thought it was. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, and, and brewing, even before medieval England, dude, women were, were almost like exclusively the brewers, like dating back to Mesopotamia, the oldest known beer recipe that I found at least was actually in a hymn to Ninkasi, who was the Sumer- Sumerian goddess of beer fermentation. Cool. Um, That's awesome. And I read... I read the hymn. It's not so much a, a recipe as it is like a description of how beer is made. That's st- that, um, either way. That's cool. that's really cool. I love that there have been throughout history, like really far back, throughout like like when people were like, "Oh, you can ferment something," uh, and all of a sudden people were like, "Oh, we should have a god dedicated to this." <laughs> like, right? I know. You know, that's how you know it's important. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Um, ancient Egypt, there was a goddess of beer uh, called. So these names, I did not look up how to pronounce them, but I'm I'm doing my best, you guys. Uh, ancient Egypt goddess Tenenet in Baltic and Slavic mythology, there was a goddess a goddess called. Uh, shit. <laughs> Ra- Ragutian. Yeah. Who provided protect. <laughs> protection over beer um and in finland there's this legendary woman named kalavatar who invented beer using who is said to have invented beer using honey and bear saliva dope oh gross that's so gross i was right in with the honey i was was gonna like mead and then yeah no you lost me a bear saliva I bet it made the like people strong and, and fierce. Oh, dude. I bet it gave it like a real frothy head. What? What? <laughs> no way. <laughs> but all of those people and deities that you just mentioned were all all female. So they're like yeah, brewing dude. and and women in history seem pretty closely tied for a, a while. Absolutely. It wasn't, brewing wasn't a specialized trade 
and it was therefore accessible to women because women were, you know, typically at home and because there wasn't, there weren't any like, um, there wasn't any real training needed to do it. It was often like, you know, if, if the men in Sumeria were like out hunting, then the women were at home making alcohol. Same thing in England. Uh, there weren't a lot of options for women as far as professions went. So as a cottage industry, something that they could do at home, um, it was often a source of additional income for both married and non-married women. Right. And uh, and I think if it's, you know, just in case it's not clear to anyone at this point, alewives, uh, sort of mostly what we'll be chatting about are the uh, women in England uh, or mostly England that brewed beer out of their homes uh, as, you know, as a source of income and livelihood uh, for travelers and passerbys and local folk. But uh, they were, yeah, independent female brewers. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, I know that you did some research as far as like how it was like for married women versus non-married women. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a little different, I guess. Uh, I, I, I guess I didn't, <laughs> didn't write down a date, which is shame on me. There basically came a point in, um, in England where, uh, Brewing became a trade and it became a, uh, not necessarily that you needed a license, but in order to have the time and the servants required uh, to have uh, the help uh, in being able to like keep a home while also brewing and that sort of thing, because servants were very, uh, very much required as part of everyday life at that point for a lot of, uh, a lot of households. Uh, but they, uh, at, at basically at a certain point, uh, brewing f- as a female became something that was much more accessible if you were married. And then it became a partnership where husbands and wives would do it together, often 50, 50 in the business. It was a very much an equal partnership, but, uh, the, the actual brewing would be done by the woman and the or the wife and the um, sort of husband's role in this was guild membership and having access to uh, things like um, s- supplies and crops and uh, and distribution and stuff like that. So it became a, a real true partnership, but there was an incentive for women to that wanted to keep brewing or brew to get married in order to have access to guild membership and licenses and that sort of thing that uh, they wouldn't have if they were single women because women couldn't own businesses and they couldn't be guild members. So they would... I can't necessarily say they would get married to be able to do that, but it was definitely an incentive for women who maybe started at a younger age um, to get married and continue to do this as opposed to have to choose between, you know, I can get married or I can brew. So I actually do have a date or rather a time frame for when this began. So all of this began Um, As far as it becoming more of a mainstream trade, it happened after the Black Plague. Oh, yes. I did read that. 
very good. Thank you. So, yeah. So, and that was due to like the consolidation of urban markets, um, cheaper access to grain, greater access to capital, rising standards of living, um, and the centralization and rising popularity of alehouses. Men started taking over, and women needed, and not necessarily. I, I'm going to rephrase that completely because that's not 100% true. The market was right for commercialization. Right. And there was opportunity for money to be made. So men had to step in. Right. And it was structured in such a way, like you said, you know, that, you know, in order to make money from this in a meaningful way to support your family uh, and to be, you know, popular at it and not struggle tooth and nail to do it, it behooved you to have a partnership and, you know, and, and do this with your husband because being a single woman of essentially of breeding age was, you know, was really frowned upon. And if you were a single woman who was brewing, uh, at that point where it was like, well, you should be getting married and you're choosing not to get married and you're choosing not to have a male in your partnership in your business. You're a wild child kind of thing. You were often seen as um, as a sexual deviant and as a spiritual deviant and um, and really ostracized. But you could still you you could still make money brewing, but the types of clientele that you might end up with in your ale house or uh, as an ale wife who is not married would be very different than, you know, sort of a reputable ale house. Absolutely, dude. Um, in fact, in, in the year 1540, the city of Chester ordered that no women between the ages of 14 and 40 were permitted to sell ale. Yeah, because uh, because they were considered sexual deviants, like you said, yep. they would like they were they were thought to use their wiles to get pious men drunk. Yeah, and, and it was to spend money a hundred percent. And it was also this sort of pushback against drinking and and sort of beer culture, I guess, and, and drinking culture in general, where um, you know it was it was more that they like they wanted to start shutting these things down. And if they were controlled by reputable men, then they were reputable establishments. But otherwise, why were these like good, wholesome men out drinking beer at an ale, like at an ale house, you know, that was run by like so improper to be out with a single woman uh, kind of thing. So, right, right. right. But now, I mean, they still operated, before... but maybe, maybe not well, as openly. Yeah, I mean, of course they did. They, yeah, absolutely. Um, now before the black trade or the, the black trade, before the black plague, um, and before brewing started being commercialized, it was a pretty lucrative business for non-married women because they didn't really have a trade that they could specialize in and go out and make money. So it was a really great way for non-married women to support themselves. And it was, um, and it was required because I think I read, uh, in one, article that you know people were drinking on average about a gallon of beer per person per day that was you know uh mm -hmm. that was what they drank and there were you know different types of beer but they didn't have preservatives and ways to keep them fresh like we do now so they'd go bad after two or three days so the women were always yep. brewing always brewing small batches and they were serving their community they weren't like you know they weren't sending beer the way we think about a brewery now where it's like you know i can go into any corner store or liquor store 
store or my all my favorite restaurants from literally from here to England and get a beer like I can get a beer in London brewed in like in Ontario or brewed here in Massachusetts and that sort of thing was not happening it was you know you you made it local you drank it local you drank it within a few days and then you start again right you would sometimes make extra to share with your neighbors um I found it really interesting. I found um, something that read that public records before the Black Plague included regulated legislation that treated brewing as a solely female profession. Really? That's yeah. that's pretty cool. I think that I that's awesome. I know, like, you know, a lot of times as well, uh, because beer at that point was very different. And again, you know, didn't have hops. It didn't have preservatives. It was more of a... Um, uh, Gruet style, which I'm not entirely. I, the only thing I know about a Gruet is it's made with herbs. <laughs> um, it doesn't have hops as preservatives. Uh, but um, it was also a, like more what we would consider more medicinal in nature. Uh, and a lot of these women were also, um, you know, herbalists and midwives, and you know, the kind of person that people would come to to you know seek out a remedy outside of just like getting beer, uh, you know, they might seek them for, you know, a herb for an abortion or herb for gout or, um, you know, they have an eye infection or, you know, whatever it might be because they knew a lot about the ingredients that they were using and they knew how to use them effectively as well. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not sure if they would be considered gruit because they still use a malted barley. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yes, I don't I'm know. Not... I've never had a gruit. I've always wanted to try one. Um, I've never had one, but uh, but yeah, I just I know that they were non-hopped beers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do believe that most of them were, uh, probably all of them were non-hopped at that point. I'm not sure when they discovered hops as a preservative. Um, I do not have that year in my head. Maybe Engineer Dan remembers. Maybe. Maybe Engineer Dan can look that up for us. Because <laughs> I am curious. <laughs> since, it, since that also leads into our second uh, topic of the day. But, but I think that one of the things that has fascinated sort of both of us with alewives, beyond badass women having independent uh, lives and independent ma- ways of making their livelihood. And then I also do really like, and I'm sure that it wasn't always equal, but I like the idea that like, you know, even early um, brew houses and, and ale houses were, you know, an equal partnership where like the, you know, the man was running the business and the woman was doing the brewing. And uh, that seems like a nice idea to me, whether or not it was truly equal or not is, you know, sort of to be, to be determined by historians and not by us, but it's a nice idea. Right. (laughs) But, but one of the things that really attracted us to this is there's a lot of, um, I will say, conclusions i won't say jumped to conclusions but you know there are some things that relate to alewives that also relate to witches and the ideology and sort of imagery of witches around that time um and and there's a lot of overlap between women being seen as witches evil sexual and spiritual deviants and also being alewives surprise surprise <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, poor us, right? Poor us. <laughs> you don't want to get married? You must be a sexual deviant and a witch. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, some of the yeah, um, all I can say is thank you to all of those who came before us for right the way <laughs> the freedom that we have now absolutely for real <laughs> Uh, some of the the most common uh not common shoot um popular was the word i was looking for uh some of the more popular historical figures um in alewifedom were also you know accused of witchcraft at some point in their lives now not uh not all of these ladies were ever you know officially like uh, tried and convicted of witchcraft, but a lot of them were accused of being witches. And Jenny Bingham, uh, or also known as Mother Redcap, which was a very popular term at the time for all, a lot of alewives and midwives and and witches at that point. But uh, so we had Mother Redcap and Mother Blackcap, who was uh, Lady Mother Shipton from Camden uh, in the UK, and. Um, Mother Louse in Oxford as well. Very, very popular. Like one of the first um, really well-known uh, alewives was uh, at one point in her life also accused of being a witch. So a lot of like a lot of these and I think it's sort of like it all comes together with this. You're an independent woman. You don't have a man. You're doing something different. You're, you know, you're. Uh, doing things that are against the creed of the church at the time. And you're also mm-hmm. falling into that crone age. Most of like all three of these women were elderly when they were accused of being witches. When they were like young and awesome, nobody gave a shit. But when they were older women, when uh, they ended up being accused of witchcraft because they reached that sort of like crone stage. And I think a lot of times people ostracize older women as well. So. There's more overlap there, but I I did find it interesting that you know three of the more popular alewives in history also accused of witchcraft. I have your Do I have you your general it? hop information Ooh. by the way when you guys are ready. Carry on, Lindsay. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, I was just going to ask. Do you know if any of these women who were accused of being witches ever faced any consequences? Um, from those accusations. So I know Jenny Bingham w- was put on trial for murder, um, and as that was associated with her witchcraft. Uh, and she is better remembered by a lot of folks as a witch and uh, not as a a midwife and an alewife. I don't know much about Mother Louse. Um, and Mother Shipton was accused of black, black witchcraft. Uh, and... I would like to – I'm going to withhold on Mother Shipton because she's a whole other episode in and unto herself. Um, Ooh, okay. But, oh, I'm excited for But that there were cool. – I would say that there, like, there were consequences in that they became – like I'll use Jenny Bingham as an example. Um, she was a well-regarded member of her community. She had a very popular alehouse where there is still a pub to that day, uh, to this day, on that location. And she was a well-known midwife. She was very respected in the community. But as she got older and she continued to do this and it fell out of favor with high society and the church at that time, uh, you know, then she became ostracized and uh, and, you know, was accused and tried of several different things. And like, you know, she she went from this prominent community figurehead to. Uh, mm-hmm. scorned nobody essentially right. so that that's a consequence <laughs> it's you know it's not as drastic as you know being hanged or anything like that but it's uh it's definitely a consequence especially when you're you know uh 
a person who's used to, you know, a certain amount of like people coming in and helping them and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, people all turn their back on you. That sucks. Right. Yeah. No, totally. Dan, what do you have for us? All right. Uh, so you guys were asking about hops and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, so I went to the British Hops Association instead of Wikipedia. So you're going to go BritishHops.org.uk to get, to get on the site that I'm on. They're saying that um, hops Ooh. are like recorded all the way back to the first century in Egypt, but they were referred to as salad plants. <laughs> they, didn't actually, they didn't actually begin to get used in the brewing um, regularly until about the 13th century. And this is where they're declaring that um, nowadays ale and beer mean largely the same thing. But back then, ale was uh, reserved for beers produced with malt without hops. This is the original drink of the Anglo-Saxons and the English, whereas beer, B-E-E-R, was uh, probably, quote, probably originated in Germany. So they're saying that the hop being the preservative in the beer... Wasn't really you wasn't really used in ales of the time you're discussing of the yeah, ale life. That's that's fucking cool because I, I mean not that it has uh, anything really. I, I I don't know. I'm going to talk out of my ass here for a second. You guys can totally correct me. But England is a very distinct style of beer now. Period. Like an English beer is very different than a lot of other areas of the world and and their beer. And I. I like the idea personally. I think it's a cool thought to, you know, be like, well, we could use hops or we could just keep doing the shit we've been doing <laughs> and and keep making ale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say that that's probably they might they may not have even like really known about hops or have had like access to enough of them to really use them all the time too. Yeah, uh, um, but yeah, a- I totally as far as like uh Germany and England goes, two very very distinct brewing styles for sure yeah england didn't even start cultivating hops until the 15th century oh and, wow that's really late and, and most most hops in modern brewing like for the the beers that are in your fridge right now dear listener all, a lot of those hops are, are actually not natural hops they're they're man-made they're right they're splicings of a flower right. to create a hop to grow specifically for the making of beer for specific flavors. Right. So um, it was much more common back in the time of alewives and their popularity yeah. to be using any other natural preservatives and herbs that were regional to the area that you were picking flowers in, yeah. like like anything else. Mm-hmm. Hops just aren't uh, like a, a flower that is a, a worldwide <laughs> situation. It was very regional. So you kind of you brewed with what you had. And and just in, uh, I'm going to piggyback on that for a second um, on the splicing front. In case your first thought was, "Oh God, my beer is like has GMOs in it," it does not. Splicing um, is very different than genetically modifying something. So a lot of apple varieties um, also do this. You can graft one plant onto another um, if they have enough in common. Uh, I've actually seen like you can you can take a pear tree and you can cut a little like piece off of like a the bark uh, and stick in where like the branch of the pear tree would be you could stick in a apple tree uh, an apple tree branch in that area wrap it it'll grow into the tree and then you have one tree that grows both pears and apples it's sort of similar to that in, in that this what <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and that is crazy <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and, and and you do that with um, to get a lot of these apple varieties. Same thing with hops. You uh, you take the the flavor profile that you like from one thing and the preservative power or growing power or volume or whatever of another thing. And instead of going down to the like molecular level, you just crossbreed them until they – and essentially like – or you can splice or graft. That's what grafting is, is taking a little bit of this thing off of that thing, growing them together. And then the thing that they – the flowers and the seeds that they produce, you plant that, becomes a new variety. But anyway, that's a total different tangent just to make sure that nobody freaks out <laughs> that their beers are all genetically modified. They're not. They're spliced. They're grafted. They're crossbred to get like, you know, the the apple I eat today is not the apple that, you know, my ancestors ate kind of thing. And that's why heirloom varieties are also really important and and have a more pure strain uh, of or more historically pure strain. Anyway. I could talk forever about that. <laughs> in a different life, in a different life, I took horticultural sciences instead of business. <laughs> I find that shit fascinating. Um, but to go back to alewives, because I do want to touch on a few other topics around alewives that we've kind of mentioned in the past um, that people often associate like alewives with witchcraft. And I think the three that come to mind, uh, three or four, I guess, um, that come to mind for me anyway. Um, the first one are hats. The second one are broomsticks. The third one are black cats. Those are the most popular. And then I'm going to tag on also like herbal remedies, like being like using herbs for things that maybe society doesn't want you to use herbs for. And the fourth, obviously we've already talked about is being an independent woman who didn't need to abide by the laws of the church and get married. But I want to talk just cover briefly because I'm sure somebody out there is like, but the broomsticks. <laughs> so so right. I wanted to yeah. go back very ever so briefly on the hats, broomsticks, and cats situation. I need a sip of water. Cool. <laughs> That's the challenging recording remotely uh, is Lindsay can't see when I'm like, <laughs> when I'm like, okay, I, I need to like take a drink of water right now. So it's your turn. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, yeah. It's I, I and I personally enjoy that peek behind the curtain, but <laughs> we're doing our best. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. So like, as as far as the pointed hats go, um, we did point out in our our witch hat episode that a lot of people wore pointed hats back yeah. then. Yeah, we did a whole episode on the hats. Um, you know, I think a lot of alewives did wear the sort of precursor to a, a, like a modern witch hat. They were black. They were kind of pointed. But we talked a lot about, you know, before even that, witches were painted by uh, Francisco. Shoot, his name has gone right in my head. Francisco de Goya mm. with tall pointed dunce like hats before alewives were like that was in fashion for that time period. So there's a lot of origins that sort of all come together and you get the modernized, you know, Wizard of Oz witch hat through the eyes of the artist that came up with that shit. So, uh, you know, right. I don't I personally don't think that hats and alewives and witchcraft. Like if you go back, you can put those pieces together, but I don't think the fact that 
alewives were wearing the popular hat of that point in time made them witches because everybody was wearing those hats right exactly yeah i mean there is i suppose that there's always the chance that as far as like cats and brooms and you know maybe like kind of pointy hats were worn by alewives putting all of that imagery together i can definitely see why people now would be like oh which but yes 100 necessarily true yeah yeah 100 percent. but there's a lot of um there's a lot of coincidence but also there's a lot of correlation there but correlation um does not like is not causation like it's not they're not witches because they have the hat they just happen to sort of correlate um as ideas absolutely probably every house had a broom so right something <laughs> that they could absolutely stick outside it was like oh i'm not using this broom right now but my beer is ready here's this broom i'm sticking it outside Right. Now people know I have beer. Right. And um, uh, we've mentioned this before as well, where, you know, it was I, sort of one of two things. Either it was a hole above the door where you stuck a stick, often, sometimes a broomstick, but sort of, uh, and I don't know, an ale is ready stick. I forget the name of the actual stick that got put in there. Um, or there was like a little, like, um, like you hang the broom above the door after you like swept the steps to say like, hey, we're open. Right, right. And as far as cats go, it, it's my understanding that a lot of Brewster's homes had cats in them because they helped control the mice who would eat the grain or, like, poop on it. Yeah. But cats um, have always been used as rodent control. I wouldn't say always. I guess that's maybe a little bold. But frequently in history uh, and now uh, in warehouses and farms and that sort of thing. Yeah. Cats are often used for rodent control because, you know, whether like not even just the catching of them, eventually like mice and rats are not stupid as gross as they might be. They're not stupid. And they will catch on to the fact that like, that's not a safe place to be. And if you have some cats that prowl your your house, your basement, your brewery, your warehouse, your whatever, you will have less rodents. It's just the way it is. Right. I happen to love rodents. Um, I don't really <laughs> want them in in my home, but I, I do really think that they are super cute. <laughs> I, uh, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> I will never get it. <laughs> I know, I know you think they're cute. I know Engineer Dan has had pet rats. I just, but they're, they're fucking gross. <laughs> I can't get over yeah. it. Uh, I've had pet rats too, dude. They're actually really sweet. I, I am sure they are. <laughs> you wouldn't have a spider. I won't have a rat. <laughs> yeah, I don't want a spider. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, so I think that like sort of those, those, there are those three sort of stereotypical witchy things. And then there was also, you know, that idea of like we've talked about before, but, you know, these women were herbalists. They knew how to combine their ingredients. They knew what they were using, where to get it. And they were trusted figures in the community for somebody to be able to go as a, you know, as another independent woman or as a, like, as somebody who need like, doctors weren't a thing that everybody could access at that point in time. And it was a very loosely like doctor quote unquote, was a very loose term for a lot of this. And, you know, so a lot of these women were providing abortions and providing love potions and providing, you know, like I said, you know, 
mix this together and drink it three times a day to help your liver or, you know, whatever it might be. And that wasn't condoned by the church after a while. So when when those women became ostracized and and all of this sort of came together as you're, again, you're an independent woman who doesn't want to abide by the laws of the church or normal social conventions, while also having this, you know, having this deeper learning and this deeper understanding about things that can drastically affect and help a lot of times, but affect the lives of those around them. And, you know, all of that comes together to have it be very easy for people in power uh, at that point in time, men, uh, to say, you know, they're witches. And when so when you look back on it and you say women who were alewives were often accused of witchcraft and they all had these things in common like brooms and hats and cats because you know they lived at that point in time and those were tools that were necessary for their day-to-day lives then yeah it totally makes sense for you to go backwards and say alewives are the reason that modern the image of the modern witch exists yeah dude totally cool well, who knows <laughs> we don't know but alewives are fucking badass. There are a bunch of uh, women brewers now here in the New England area. And I hope that once all of the restrictions eventually, uh, you know, safely lifted, that uh, we can maybe take a field trip or invite some of these fine folks on the air. Because I would love to get their point of view on, you know, the tradition of lady brewing Uh, maybe for a future episode. So if you're listening and you're a lady brewer or have a friend or a loved one or significant other or whatever that's a lady brewer, um, you want to to hook us up, you can totally do that. Drop us a line on our email, 5C2Ppod at Gmail. We will be right back to talk about Ale Hoof. See what what we did there? Ale Wives, Ale Hoof, it's all beer related. (laughs) Yeah, we may even end up doing our own little, you know, somewhat kind of brewing thing but <laughs> we'll be back we'll, we'll we'll see you all soon which is totally totally <laughs> <laughs> today <laughs> i'm trying <laughs> we're gonna talk about ale hoof <laughs> um so ale hoof uh most folks are probably gonna know it as ground ivy that's what it's most commonly known especially here on the east coast of north america it's a european uh import um to north america but um it's known by a bunch of names so Ground Ivy, Creeping Charlie, Creeping Jenny, Jenny on the Wall, Cat's Foot, Field Bomb, Runaway Robin. Uh, I like Ale Hoof because we just did a whole thing about Ale Wives, and I thought that was great. If we did a thing about Ground uh, ground Wives, I would have called it Ground Ivy. Um, but yeah, Ale Hoof, Ground Ivy. Uh, the, the best thing about this, and one of the reasons I wanted to cover this particular herb today is it grows all the fuck over our yard. So we're right in the thick of, 
if we're going to talk about a medicinal plant or herb in the future um, over this next little bit, it's probably going to be from the backyard. And I'm really excited about that. I've learned we've got all kinds of stuff. And the first one, the lucky one uh, to be numero uno is alehoof. Also, uh, the, yeah, <laughs> for, for those just waiting for me to mispronounce something, it is, um, its technical name is glaucoma heterasi, but it's in the gla- glaucoma, <laughs> glaucoma family. And yeah, so Ilhof. Super cool. Now I'm sure it has a ton of uses, which I'm sure you're going to tell us. Sure am. Um, but I have, I have to ask, dude. Can you can you okay okay probably maybe I'm not sure <laughs> we are not gonna <laughs> so um so I say probably maybe I'm not sure because the more we do this the more um comfortable I think I personally get with it's probably fine and that means that it's probably not <laughs> um, I could not find anything that said I could smoke it like that blatantly said put this in a blend for smoking and there's so many things that do say that that especially when we're in the midst of a pandemic and maybe it's not a great time to have to go to the hospital you know, for, for being an idiot and smoking something we shouldn't have, uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to risk it. It smells, I'm going to straight up say it smells like mint. It's used for a lot of the same shit that the things that we have smoked, uh, are used for, but I couldn't find anything that said you can smoke it. And given how many things you can do with it, I'm saying it's best not to risk it. That's my not the doctor advice. (laughs) (laughs) So what we are going to do with it is we made tea because you can absolutely make tea with it. In fact, uh, ale hoof or ground IV tea is so popular or has been so popular over the years. It has its own name. It's called Guild Tea. G-I-L-L. Guild Tea. Oh, uh, and it's used, uh, as far as I could tell, at some point, somebody must have made this like the snake oil tea because it is used for fucking everything. I'm going to run through a <laughs> list and then we're going to give this tea a try. But uh, it is, guilty is an all-purpose drink, cooling and stimulating. You can, if you ingest it, it is great for indigestion, gout, vertigo, depression, jaundice, kidney stones, detoxing the liver, and preventing premature aging. <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> you can. Well, that's good, dude. Because we're nearing 40. And, like, after 40, we're no good anymore. After, to, like, yeah, I mean, after England. 40, it's not premature aging. It's just aging. <laughs> uh, and externally, you can also use the tea as a wash for eyes. So like eye drops kind of thing for watery eyes, inflammation of the eyes. If you have a black eye, an itchy eye, failing eyesight. Uh, If you are experiencing deafness. Now this one actually um, I saw in enough things that makes me think maybe this actually works. And I have a little bit of a thought behind this. But if you're experiencing deafness, you can use it as an eardrop. And at the first sign of... Um, inflammation and sort of like blockage in the ear. Uh, what I've read is that you're supposed to do um, uh, like 
two to five drops every 15 minutes for the first hour and then once an hour every hour after that and get a lot of rest, obviously, because you have an ear infection. But um, the thought behind that one is that uh, it helps break up mucus and soothes inflammation. And those are the two things that like earwax buildup and... Uh, and inflammation and mucus, uh, sinus congestion are the things that cause deafness more often than not. Your tubes are blocked. So yeah, you're supposed to be able to use this as a drop for your ears to break all of that up. Um, it does not, it specifically said it does not fix uh, tinnitus due to rock concerts, <laughs> which I thought was cute, <laughs> which I have had before. Like I have had like three, four months tinnitus because I was an idiot and didn't wear earplugs, but <laughs> damn dude. Yeah. You, so you can use it for all kinds of stuff. Um, so why don't we give it a try? We, we've, we've yeah. made some, um, as it grows wild all over the yard and, uh, the, a few episodes ago, I think I made a comment of like, I went outside and there was a hanging laundry and there was this buzzing noise, humming noise. I was like, what the fuck is that? And there were so many bees. This is what they were feasting on. It is one of the early May pollination flowers. And even when I picked, yeah, even when I picked mine today to make the tea, uh, I was visited by a couple of big fat woolly bumblebees, a couple Aww. of clearly uh, carpenter bees, and a couple of little honeybees. And I was ecstatic that there was a diversity of bees in my yard all eating this one flower. That is so cool. So we t- I'm going to say that we brewed this tea. So we sure did. <laughs> I'm a brewster. Oh, totally. <laughs> Stick a broom above your door and, uh, and sell some. <laughs> He's ready. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we took the fresh leaves and I used a French press, but I basically just stripped the leaves and some of the flowers off the plant uh, and uh, crushed them up the same way you'd like twist a basil leaf or a mint leaf before you put it into something. It just, it expresses the uh, juice from the leaf. Uh, and then I steeped it for, I don't know, probably about three, four minutes in the French press and poured a couple of cups. It's a lovely sort of grass green color. Very, um, engineer Dan called it very white tea adjacent. Yeah, it is. Um, very much so. I think that the white tea description was actually perfect for it. I brewed mine in much the same manner you did yours, except I muddled the leaves instead of twisting them, which is, you know, essentially the same thing. I really like it. Um, it, it tastes like a plant to me. (laughs) So it has a very distinct (laughs) smell. It's minty because it is in, uh, there, there's similarities. Um, it's in, it's not a mint family, but there's similarities to mint. Um, Mm -hmm. and it does have a cooling, uh, a cooling effect on my tongue after taking a sip and sort of breathing um, in. It's kind of sweet in flavor too. A little bit. A little bit. It's not grassy. Somebody had, um, written that it, it tastes woodsy, but I'm not sure it tastes woodsy. It tastes like tea. Yeah, it tastes like tea. I'm getting a little bit of sweetness. It um, a little bit yeah, of I mean, it, a little bit of floral, like a little bit of minty. What do you think, like Engineer grass. Dan? Uh, I don't, I'm not really pulling a lot of mint. I am getting a, a sweetness to it, though, for sure. Cool. Well, it's supposed to be good for all types of inflammation and congestion, and I don't know if you want to wait for it to cool and drop it in your eye and your ears and <laughs> all kinds of good stuff, but. 
I really like it, and uh, I'm excited about it because there's enough of it out there in my yard where I'm probably going to pick this, dry it, and keep it on hand for for future congestion and cough days and that sort of thing. And and if it has any of these other benefits like premature aging, um, that's great. <laughs> I, you uh, sort of to note on top of all of this, um, one of the reasons that I wanted to also cover this in conjunction with uh, Alewives is that uh, this was as Alehoof might suggest used in the brewing of beer. So pre hops, um, this was used as a flavor additive, a clarifier, and a preservative. Uh, so uh, brewers would add this much like they would hops, uh, but instead of hops, in large quantities. And I, having picked a bunch and seeing like how like it just grows everywhere, I, I just wonder. It's a tiny plant. It's a very short plant, and. I'm just imagining people picking like fields and fields of this like purple, green leafed, purpley flowered bees buzzing everywhere, filling their baskets to go back and brew beer. That sounds really nice. That does sound really nice. Man, they must have been doing a lot of picking. Yeah. A lot of picking. Yeah. You're a lot of hunched very, over very picking. And then, um, magically speaking, uh, although this episode has been more focused on, you know, ale and brewing and whatever, um, it, magically speaking, uh, ale hoof is, or ground ivy is used for discovering the source of negative magic and is a fairly important, um, a fairly important plant or herb in, uh, spring goddesses and worshiping spring goddesses, if that is part of your practice. So a lot of times you might make, um, you know, make a tea to honor the goddess out of ground ivy or, um, you know, dry it and hang it or burn a little or whatever you might want to do with it. But, uh, it is used for honoring spring goddesses. And my last, awesome. my, <laughs> my last ground ivy fact for the day is, it is toxic to horses in large doses. Uh, it oh. is also to toxic to humans in large doses, but like real large doses. Like if this is your like fifth iced guilty of the day, maybe stop. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, drinking a cup of guilty once a day or, you know, isn't going to hurt you uh, as long as you're cool with guilty in general. But large quantities are can be toxic, can cause an upset stomach, but it's not great for horses um, who just are dumb and eat everything on the ground in front of them. So if you notice Aww. it growing and you have a horse, um, you know, good luck because <laughs> it's invasive and will just keep spreading. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of excited by this one. This I, I, I'm putting this one up there with the... It's not quite mugwort level, but I kind of like it in the same level as a mint tea. I like it. Yeah, it does make I my mean, tongue feel cold. It's tasty. I'm not getting the cold tongue feeling. It's, <laughs> it's like a cooling effect. Like after having like sucking on a cough drop or something, you breathe in, you got like that sort of like cooling effect on your tongue. I've got a little bit of that. Wow. Yeah, I'm not getting that at all. Wish I were. So, oh yeah. well. Ilhoof. It's pretty. Bees like it. I'll drink it. That's my summation. <laughs> it's a real yeah, guilty pleasure. Oh, no! Uh. 
good. I love a good pun. <laughs> so good. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is winding us down to the end of our episode here. But before we go, uh, we've got a couple of shout outs. And I am ready for this. But Lindsay, you do yours first. Yeah. All right. I'll pour some well, more tea. Today, we are recording on Kelly's birthday. Kelly! <laughs> Did you notice, Happy Kelly? Birthday. I said herb. I said herb, it's Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I did it just for you. I'm going back to herb with an H. <laughs> <laughs> so, happy birthday to Kelly, my closest sister in age. Um, one of the most fun and loving and kindest people that I know. Happy birthday to Kelly. Only person I know who has ever shit in public and wiped her ass with whatever has been available to wipe her ass with. <laughs> Happy birthday, uh, Kelly. More than one, I might add. Public pooper. <laughs> hey, it happens. It happens. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> awesome uh well i hope you have a, a dope day and i look forward to someday meeting you in person kelly uh, our other shout out for the day is uh to a dear friend of mine who lives in montreal in quebec and uh, sent us a little message on instagram and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna ask for forgiveness and not for permission and share this message um from lisa uh, that really like totally made my day and basically her little message um, says that that the podcast has made her want to embrace the magical side of things and intuition more and there can be no greater compliment I think that really touched us and you know I I think when we started this podcast, we were like, oh, this will be fun and people might find us entertaining. But to think that somebody, especially, you know, a friend of uh, a friend of mine might, you know, truly pull something meaningful from it and and get that type of value uh, really astounded me and humbled me and was very, very uh, heartfelt. And I appreciate that little shout out, Lisa. Love you. Miss you. Yeah. It's really such a sweet message to receive. And in addition to the podcast inspiring her, I think that her message is inspiring to us also. A hundred percent. To keep going. Absolutely. Uh, we're a couple of dorks that are just trying to figure this out like everyone else. And, you know, the more that we can support each other and lift each other up in our practices and our desires and our goals, the better off we all are. So... I, I appreciate the message, Lisa. Absolutely. Thank you for such a sweet message. Well, that was episode 29. 29. 29. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, we will be back next week with a brand new topic, maybe a new herb. I don't know. I don't think we've, uh, I don't think we've decided what we'll talk about next week. But as always... Be kind. Until then, remember, no pervs, no Nazis. Totally.